and welcome to Business Disability Forum's podcast, Business Disability Debates, brought to you with the help of our sponsor, HSBC. I'm Diane Lightfoot, and I'm Chief Executive of Business Disability Forum. This year, 2020, marks 25 years since the Disability Discrimination Act and 10 years since the Equality Act. And so this year, we want to take a look back at where we've come from and where we're still left to go. To do that, we're launching a series of what we're calling Business Disability Debates to examine, unpick and challenge some of the key issues of the day. We want to do that with a primarily business lens and to look at what organisations across all sectors can do to lead the way and to drive change. We were going to do this at our annual conference. Of course, the strange circumstances we are all in with COVID-19 and lockdown means that a physical event isn't possible at the moment. But we know that people want content, want to engage, and dare I say, be entertained, and to keep the spotlight on disability. So we are going ahead in a podcast series instead. For the first of our business disability debates, I am delighted to be joined by my guest, Ian Wilkie. Ian is an executive coach with a focus on quiet leadership. He spent 21 years as a partner in EY, including as a member of the UK and Ireland leadership team, and a senior sponsor for the firm's Ability EY Network for Disability and Health. In 2014, Business Disability Forum awarded Ian with our first ever Executive Champion Award for his pioneering work with stuttering in the workplace. More recently, Ian took part in a podcast as part of our global programme to talk about the campaign he founded, 50 Million Voices, which he'll be updating us on in our conversation today, as well as his chapter in a new book, Stammering Pride and Prejudice, Difference Not Defect, published by JNR Press. So there's a lot to talk about. Hello Ian and thank you for joining me today. Hello Diane, thank you very much for inviting me. So Ian, it's brilliant to have you as my guest and we'll be talking primarily about your work around stammering or stuttering. For the uninitiated, what's the difference? Yes, stammering and stuttering are exactly the same thing so they are um, speech which is not smooth uh, caused by neurological differences in the way the speech components of our brains are are formed and um, in adults occurring in one percent of of adults five to Mm -hmm. seven percent of children and in adults four out of every five people who stutter are male Um, all right so, and stammering's used in the UK as, as the term, um, and in, in, in India and uh, a few other countries, but in most of the world, stuttering is the term that, that predominates. Okay, thank you, that's really helpful. And obviously, this is a subject that is very close to your own heart. Can you tell our listeners a bit about that and what it was like growing up with a stammer? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I th- in a, Stuttering is complicated and it, a lot of it revolves around actually not the sound of, 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 of your stuttering. It, it's about, I think, your expectation of what will happen when you do. So actually it's the sort of whole environment piece here. So when as a, a boy growing up with a stutter, particularly at, at, at school, for example, and you're required to read in class and everybody else, every, everybody has the words in front of them, so you can't change the words, or um, you're, you're required to read in school assembly, or 
to be in a school play. These are all risky points because you know that you may stutter. People say stuttering is what you do when you're trying not to stutter. So the, mm. the, the, the pressure of the reaction you'll get, which may just be sniggers or it may be laughter or it may be mocking as you walk away down the corridor or it may be more social exclusion. I mean, I was, I was lucky, you know, I, went, I wasn't in schools where I was bullied for my stammer. But certainly it was difficult. And, um, you know, friends have, sub, have, have sort of apologised in, in adulthood as to how, you know, how, how, how they would tease me. So I think, you know, what really happens, it's, it's very similar to the workplace. You, you learn that, that speaking out loud answering a question where you even know the answer the teacher asks you the question you know the answer but you know you're going to stutter on that word so you so so you'd rather not stutter than give the right answer so you kind of thought of as well as not not being um as bright a student or as or as hard-working student as you truly are so you learn that actually speech carries risk it's the risk of stuttering so you start to avoid speaking situations mm. either by changing words or showing up late not showing up at all avoiding being in the school play avoiding doing the debating society stuff so mm. it's just it's just with you all the time really and i think um it, it, it comes on when you're tired more when i'm tired when i'm nervous you know what people sometimes say people who stutter are nervous. I think you're nervous of stuttering as opposed to being a nervous person. Mm. Um, so yeah, so it, it, it's sort of wrapped into my childhood. It's wrapped into growing up and uh, wrapped into my early career as well. It, it makes me think actually about how exposing um, a lot of the ways that we, we still ask people to show, I mean, kids in school to demonstrate their knowledge really are, um, which is also true of the workplace, of course. And you've had an extremely successful career in professional services. Um, so, so how was that um, with having a stammer? How and when did you start talking about that in the workplace? And did it change for you at any point? Yeah, I, re I refused to talk about it in the workplace for, for a very, very long time. Um, I felt embarrassed and, and uh, that I had a stammer, you know, I think in these, a lot of organizations including the leading professional services firms there is this culture of perfection and um so anything that can be seen as a weakness or you've grown up believing as a weakness you're really hardwired to you you don't believe it you, you you just know that this is something that that is different and you're expected to speak smoothly fluently so I would refuse, I did have a couple of bosses who tried to engage me on the topic and I really refused to talk about it. I mean, it really came to a head, um, firstly when I was at the partner assessment centre when I was trying to become a partner and I tried to hide my stammer a lot, so I was very long-winded and frankly some of what I said didn't make sense because you end up using words that you know you're not going to stammer on. You know, I'll stammer mm. on hard consonants mainly. And then I had some really sort of big events about um, 10 years ago now when I was still at EY which were either publicly reading in, in the cathedral for a memorial service or actually pitching for a major PLC audit where I I think the pressure um, the expectation got to me and I stammered a lot and, and and a couple of other similar events and I thought yeah I'm just at a point in my life where this is still this is a demon that's still controlling me, even though I have, I am enjoying a very successful career. 
So I formed a network, an EY Stammering Network, um, and, and it kind of went from there. But it wasn't like an overnight epiphany. It took me several years to become really uh, confident in my own stammer, even, even after forming the EY Network. And, and of course, now you can't stop me speaking about stammering. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a good thing. We're lucky to have you speaking about it. And what you were saying about culture, um, I, I love that Peter Drucker quote, the one about culture eats strategy for breakfast. And it's, it's so true. And in our work, we see the importance of culture and senior leadership in driving that, which is why your work um, as a senior champion was, was so, so very valuable and, and still is in a different space. Um, and that whole thing around talking about something that could be perceived as a weakness, particularly with a, a disability that's not immediately visible. So that's the very, very common themes in, in our work. Um, I know when we were chatting about this, Ian, you were talking about um, a, a seminal moment being a chance meeting at a stammering conference at Oxford in 2014. And um, I'd love it if you could tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so I talk about this in, in, in the book, the Stammering Pride and Prejudice book. Um, yeah, I was, I was with Norbert Leakfelt, who was then the chief executive of the British Stammering Association. And we went to a session, um, really it's about the social model of disability and how it plays into stammering. And, and actually, I'd never heard anything like it. This was three years after I'd formed the EY network. Uh, because um, three three people, um, two of them therapists, and no, I think they're all therapists actually, were standing up and, and, and really challenging um, the whole basis of the conference, which is called Disfluency Conference, but actually saying, actually the problem does not lie with the disfluency, with, with, this, with the stammering. Uh, the problem lies with society's attitude towards that different way of speaking and then really challenging the other therapists and, and academics in the room to really say, you're asking the wrong question here. And if you're asking the wrong question, you're gonna get the wrong answer. And really the challenge was to say, actually, isn't it okay? Isn't it okay to stutter? And I have to admit, I'd never ever thought it was okay to stutter because I'd just grown up in this, this culture, this global culture, which is obsessed with, with fluency and, and obsessed with certain ways of speaking or certain acceptable accents of speaking, certainly non-stuttering speech. So it really was a, 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 a huge moment. But I, and I also really, for me, because it started to really make me think, well, maybe this isn't a weakness that I feel is so embedded in me. Maybe, maybe just maybe it, 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 it could be okay. So I worked, uh, I, I got in contact with Sam Simpson, who was the leader of, of that group. And, um, and, and invited Sam to see if, if she would, who's a leading therapist, to see if, if, if she would work with me to try and bring something together that we could use in the workplace to help people like me in the workplace become more accepting of our, of, 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 of our speech. Um, and it was an extraordinary collaboration really. And I think it's a great example of if actually sometimes to create really meaningful, sustained change, you do need very different um, skill sets and 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 mindsets around how you work. So we had this sort of collaboration where we had the shared purpose to change the world of work or change change societal attitude towards to, towards stuttering. 
but totally different ways of working. So I came from the business end of it, where I have a, a budget, and the way we, I thought we would approach this was we would have a, have a few sessions in, in, um, in the evenings, glass of, glass of uh, EY's finest wine, and, <laughs> and, and, and we'd run a session on interview skills. How, with a stutter, can you uh, perform well at interview? You know, should you declare your stutter beforehand? Um, run that for an hour, hour and a half, and, and people would be fixed. And then the next week might be on giving presentations, and the week after that might be on using the telephone, because that can be very challenging for people who stutter. Um, that was how we, and I felt that would really get to the, quickly to the heart of the problem, give people a chance to, to learn, practice, and then, they, then, then we'd all be all right. Um, and that's actually a very familiar model, you know, for many organizations. Um, Sam's view, somebody working much more from a personal perspective was, if you really want to create meaningful change, you have to work with the individual and you have to get into the deeper work around appreciating the environment you're in, how that's impacting your behavior, your thoughts, um, your avoidance, acceptance of your stammer, um, a commitment to change the way your relationship with your stammer, the risks and rewards of doing that, the risks and rewards of um, sharing and disclosing your stammer and stammering openly and even stammering proudly. And so we had this common goal and I was like, yeah, we can't run 20 sessions. That's how long that's <laughs> taken. And, 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 and feeling that I'll never, I'll never land this in, in the workplace if it's about 20 sessions, but equally recognizing that, yeah, actually running a few short, sharp sessions wasn't going to be the answer. Um, so in the end, we ended up with a, a compromise really, which was three half day workshops, which we wrapped in, which we created a program called Redefining Stammering at Work. We ran it for the first time in 2015, um, and it's been running every year since. And uh, and it's just a beautiful program. It works with uh, people people who stutter. Uh, we've developed, um, in addition, elements of it where we've run workshops for employers uh, to help them understand about stuttering and 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 what how it impacts, and not only for people who stutter but for everybody else who's listening. Uh, but it was a it, it, it was working with Sam, and Sam is one of the editors of the Pride and Prejudice book. It's a great example of where you've got a shared common purpose and common values. Actually, having those two very different approaches was what made it work. I think I don't think we'd have achieved, and that I don't think we'd have achieved what we've achieved with Stammering at Work through the Employer Stammering Network, which no longer exists, but now through Fifty Million Voices, if we hadn't had that tough three or four months it was, we were trying to work out how can we bring this theory of the social model into the hard-nosed reality of the business world and, and to bring it in successfully in a way that honored both our professional values of, of you know, me as, as a professional chartered accountant or the values of the firm like EY mm. and for her all the values of uh, being a therapist and, and the values of, of her profession. Yeah. I hope you still had um, a glass of EY's finest because um, I'm sure I'm sure that would have been an additional draw as well, perhaps at the end of the workshop. And um, I know you've talked a little bit about some of the the social model and a different, not defective way of speaking um, and it's society's reaction that's the problem. So it, was that the sort of core message of the workshop? What, what sort of thing came out of it? 
definitely one of the core messages in the sense of really to challenge that assumption that we all grew up with that um, that 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 we should not speak with a stutter and and to do so would would expose weakness um, very much the helping people look at the the culture you know back to your point about culture um, each strategy every time is all those subtle messages about as you walk into your place of work or walk into your customer or your client what are those messages you're getting about everybody looking good sounding good behaving in a similar way that conforms with that culture uh, no matter what it may say on the wall about bring your whole self to work you know what are the real con consequences of bringing your whole vulnerable warts and all self to work there are consequences of that particularly when leadership who who, who, who drum on about those those values are not themselves demonstrating their own weaknesses and their own vulnerabilities so to help people who start to realize actually you're getting messages about what we call the fluency god and the fluency god being the great i am all the time in the way that perhaps you are preparing for a presentation and you get coached on how to do it by somebody that's just making you speak in a certain corporate way using certain corporate language because that's what gets the message across and i would say no i want to speak as ian i want to speak using my language and eventually in my stuttering voice and even on videos where they would edit the stuttering out i'd require them to edit the, the stuttering back in because i felt that is who i am as, as you're talking it, it really strikes me that so much of what we value in modern life certainly modern kind of professional life is valuing presentation over content and, and style over substance if you will and I'm thinking that perhaps some of the ultimate examples are media trained politicians that you can kind of spot a mile off or also probably politicians who who talk in sound bites and actually the way that someone delivers something it, it, it really sh it really shouldn't be the thing that's valued it should be it should be the substance shouldn't it absolutely you know going back to the cultural piece i think there are loads of cultural issues at play and it often strikes me that some disabilities or long-term conditions are still seen as more acceptable to talk about than others and in fact we had a conference um, we did have our annual conference last year and one of the panel debates we had was called breaking down taboos and it was looking at um, conditions which perhaps are the ones that people didn't really want to talk about and is, is that something that resonates with you around stammering yeah for sure i think um, there are certain conditions which are almost well, they certainly get much more media attention, much more funding, um, and, and, and stuttering is clearly not one of them. Um, and I think there's a real danger that we end up with this, with this hierarchy of conditions, whereas actually in the, we, we're all a combination of things. Um, and, and, uh, and actually I do think it's, it is back to culture change where we accept that difference in all its in all that diversity of difference. So um, I, I think there's a danger actually for the disability and mental health movement that aspects or certain conditions become more favored than others. Mm. Um, because I think that gives a very mixed message to the very people and the very organizations that we're trying to influence and change. And, yes. and, 
and um, in, in in the Pride and Prejudice book, there's a really beautiful chapter um, called "It's Complicated: Cerebral Palsy and Stuttering," and it's written by uh, actually a lady who's now a speech and language therapist in New York, uh, Crystal Kubart, and Crystal, who I've met and I know quite well, talks about growing up. Um, with her cerebral palsy and with her stutter and how the responses to those different conditions from her friends and even within her own family were completely different. Um, and that made it very difficult for her as a little girl and as an adolescent girl and even as a young woman, uh, particularly to come to terms with, with, her, with her stuttering. Um, and and uh, in, in many ways, it's a heartbreaking chapter, but also ultimately an incredibly joy joyful one. Um, but she talks about, I'll read it actually. I ran with a gait that was lopsided and labored, but when I ran, I was smiling. In, in mm. that she was able to come to terms with her cerebral palsy in a way that, because of the culture that prevailed at the time and perhaps still prevails, um, yeah. So, you know, with regards to my stutter, many people, even those that I was very close to, were reticent to talk about it or even acknowledge, me, acknowledge it. The silence was in many ways more painful than people's stares or laughter. It made me feel like stuttering was something that should be hidden. So mm -hmm. I think, yeah, there's, uh, that's, that, that's, that's culture playing out, isn't it? But I think there's a real risk in the business world and in, in the broader organisation and in our society that some conditions get left behind just because they're difficult and particularly, yeah. where, they're, particularly where they're hidden. Yeah. And, and actually, you know, in stuttering, most of us spend most of our lives trying to hide our stutter. So yeah. why do we do that? Well, we've talked a bit about that, but we, but so we, in some ways you'd say we have ourselves to blame, but I would say, well, it's the cultural non-acceptance of, 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 of stuttering that causes us to do that. Mm -hmm. which I think moves us into, so what's happening for the listener? You know, why is it so difficult to listen to a stuttering voice? And, and is there something we can do to help listeners, being the 99% of adults who don't stutter, actually yeah. hear, what, hear what that stuttering voice is saying? Because, you know, some of those stuttering voices have some really valid points to make. And, and thinking about the listener, I mean, it, when we were talking before, it struck me that there's a piece about understanding and acknowledging a kind of immediate instinctive inbuilt response to hearing someone who speaks differently whether it is a stammer or something else and not beating ourselves up for that immediate unconscious reaction because we might not be able to control that but then recognizing that we can then control and choose how we respond to that person and that's the bit that's really important and where we do have choice and we do have control and we can make a big difference so so what what advice would you give to people listening to this yeah i think um actually my last answer i said some of those stuttering voices have valid points to make i really mean all of those stuttering voices always have valid points to make but the point you know my point is the same that you know, please give every voice, whether it's a stuttering voice or a strong accent from a different community um, or a high pitched voice or a low pitch, you know, give all those voices equal chance because actually the way we speak does not really impact the, 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 the quality of, of, the, uh, of what we're trying to say. Yes. Uh, the, 
Yeah, I think the listening part is fascinating. We know from research that um, hearing a stuttering voice actually creates the emotional parts of the brain um, become stressed. We know that can then play out in terms of physical sweating for the listener, um, can play out in, term, in different cultures in terms of not looking at somebody's face or eyes, but looking at their mouth, what's happening with the mouth, or even looking away, but not, not mm. knowing what to do. So I would say, actually, all of those reactions are, are normal. You know, that's how our listening brain has evolved to expect smoother speech. When it doesn't hear smoother speech, it doesn't quite know what to do. So we feel, we feel discomfort. It's a bit of pain there for the listener. And my, my view would be that's normal. Just run mm. with that, it's normal. Get beyond that and then listen to the content of what the person with the stutter or indeed the strong accent um, is saying. Because yeah. actually for them to be in that position to feel what they're saying is so important to say it, um, um, to have traveled that life journey, to be in that same meeting with you, and it must be worth saying, a, 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 at least from their perspective. So I think the listening part, yeah, I think it's worth taking. It's a bit like that thinking fast and slow. You know, it's just recognizing our immediate reaction when when there's that rustling, rustle in, in the bush and, and we think the lion's about to get us. We start running. Actually, you know, the next reaction is, hang on, uh, I live in suburbia and there aren't actually many lions around here. So I, yes, I do it's think probably a squirrel. It's probably OK. Yeah. But thinking about um, the different cultural challenges and you talked about 50 million voices at our global conference. And of course, there are different cultural challenges wherever you are. But once you get into a global space and the different challenges in different countries and different attitudes to all kinds of disabilities and long term conditions is, is a major, major thing. And of course, we touched on that when you joined us at our global conference in February, which seems absolute lifetime ago. Um, but for those who aren't aware, can you tell us a bit about 50 million voices and, and what you were seeing there? Yeah, certainly. I mean, 50 million voices is a, is a collaborative, supportive community, which we launched uh, a year ago now. Um, I, 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 I lead it and um, it involves really stuttering leaders from 15 different countries, uh, ranging well, across five continents, so New Zealand, Japan, India, Israel, Rwanda, Ghana, Kenya, South Africa, and then into Europe, we have Spain, Germany, France, Ireland and the UK, and then Canada and the US. So lovely sort of uh, cultural um, and geographic mix. And um, yeah, so, so stuttering in most parts of the world um, is regarded as, as, as a weakness, uh, even in, in, in some cultures, particularly in parts of Africa, it's still associated with witchcraft. Um, and there's huge, there's huge ignorance there, uh, including from, amongst school teachers and all the way up. Um, there's an example, you know, that could, could tell you, well, examples of people losing their jobs because they, of their stutter, jobs they've been in for years but either the business is, is trying to make a cut or they can't get that promotion. So they get, I guess, overqualified for the role they're in. So there's a huge amount of discrimination. Firstly, mm. of people who are just simply unable to get a job because of the way they, we speak, their stutter, and often will end up in the wrong job. One where there's very little talking to do, really intelligent people who, who have so much potential will never get close to realizing that potential. 
Um, so what 50 Million Voices does is, is to help those national stuttering leaders or the, on the board of their stuttering associations work with particular issues, um, work with the employer, get confident working with the employer so they can understand that actually there's some, there's real talent. You know, we've, there's at least 50 million people of employable age in the world who stutter. And within that 50 million people are some, there's some incredible talent. And, 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 yeah. and also some real leadership talent. So, um, you know, Winston Churchill, as a boy and a young man, had, 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 had a stutter, you know, and, and George VI, you know, had a very challenging yes. stutter. The yes. two of them, you know, probably the, as well as some of the military leaders, you know, some of the greatest leaders of the Second World War. So I think there's some real strengths that come from actually many, dis I'd probably argue all disabilities in some ways. Um, those strengths about resilience, you know, so being pushing on, surviving through, finding a way through, and, and frankly, taking the hits and getting up and getting up the next day and you go again. I think you become, mm -hmm. you become better listener uh, because you recognize that actually people with difference have something positive to contribute. I think yes. you're more, more empathetic towards difference. I think yeah. stuttering actually invites a different way of listening as well, which is you didn't actually hear that smooth speech. You heard that um, broken speech. So that says, oh, that, that, that lady or that guy's a bit different. Actually, I have a bit of a difference too. I, I'm hard of hearing perhaps, or, or mm -hmm. uh, may, maybe I feel a bit more confident having this more vulnerable conversation with the stutters than with the person who presents themselves as being all perfect and, and, and physically and mentally and everything, you know, perfect, which frankly uh, doesn't, so. doesn't, doesn't, lead to, doesn't really lead to a great human connection. No, no, none of us, none of us are. Um, <laughs> and um, we had a, we had an event, another event, actually in real life, our technology task force um, showcase again in February. Oh, actually, it was even March. It was last month. Um, and one of our speakers, uh, Robert Nolan from Deafblind UK, he was talking about um, how Helen Keller said that being blind cut her off from things, but being deaf. Um, meant cut her off from people um, and meant and for him it meant that he missed information every day and when we were talking speaking and listening is is so fundamental to the human condition so so what the work you're doing of 50 million voices and beyond is is so important in that and um, you talked about obviously talent and 50 million people is a very, very large talent pool. Um, and I think you're also offering a mentoring program for people who stammer with mentors who themselves stammer. Yeah, so, well, we, we, we ran a mentoring program um, a couple of years ago, actually under the umbrella of the Employer Stammer Network, which we learned a lot about, um, you know, this is for young people who stammer between the age of 18 and 25. So mm -hmm. leaving, education and either going into further education or into the workplace and there were 10, 10 mentees who stammered and eight mentors and we had it professionally evaluated um, and and it was great that all, all, all the mentees found the program to be either very helpful or extremely helpful in terms of how they coped with that with their speech with that fundamental life transition, you know, out of school into that next stage. Um, and one of the really interesting pieces of feedback was the most significant um, 
attribute they felt the mentors had was that the mentors had a stammer mm. um, and, and because they just felt that gosh this is somebody that gets me now that the mentors sometimes had a, a less pronounced or more pronounced stammer than the mentee but the, the reality was you'd been through that that childhood that school days experience the one that I tried to describe at, at, at the beginning um, so there's that um, that that connection um, and I think it was it, it was massive actually you know and I've seen evaluations by other mentoring programs and they just don't have the same level of positive feedback I think there's also um, I think the mentors got a huge amount from it as well because I think it enabled us to understand some of our own life journey you know looking backwards yeah. and that almost there was quite a lot of cross mentoring there yes no i can i can imagine and that the point about connection and shared experiences is is, is so important and um thinking about the current climate that we are in and connecting um current working arrangements with covid19 mean that we are all working differently now and remotely and of course even via digital platforms we're recording Holding this digitally, um, we lose many of the visual and other cues around communication that we, we would have in a face-to-face -face, um, interaction. So what does that mean for people who stammer? Yeah, I mean, going, going online, working, work, certainly the office workplace moving online is a big challenge for people who stammer. Uh, we typically don't like the telephone. Um, actually, um, virtual meetings uh, Zoom, Skype, a bit much better than the phone um, because I think we can pick up the visual clues um, but where it's just the sound of um, your voice and somebody else's voice I think that focus on um, the, the, the sound for some reason triggers much more stuttering for people who stutter than, than an, 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 a normal conversation. Um, equally I do think people who stutter will often find it very difficult to get into a meeting uh, because by the time we've framed what we want to say, uh, probably by choosing words we gamble and not, we're not going to stutter on, the conversation's moved on, or actually we just get talked over because we might be hesitating on a word and meetings are by their nature often quite competitive. So in some ways I think that formats like Zoom give, give people who stutter another opportunity to get into the conversation you know i think a, a big piece of advice would be to really know the technology well you know know that on zoom there's a hands up feature know you can wave perhaps talk to the chair or contact the chair beforehand and say look i have a stutter or i'm a quiet person i struggle to get in can you bring me in you you will visibly see me so yeah. I, if, if you know i'd like to be brought in early in this meeting not late in this meeting if i can get in at all um, the other thing we found actually talking to the, or listening to the leaders around the world is that actually by going online and, and their meetings um, with their communities going online has, has, a, has been very helpful uh, to people who are able to get online um, in terms of social isolation. Mm -hmm. And many people who stutter are isolated normally because it's quite harder to build relationships. Um, so it sort of enabled those communities to come together. So the leader in Ghana was saying 
that he um, he's getting much better attendance to his Zoom meetings uh, than he normally gets to his physical meetings. And that obviously he's saying he's thinking about that now for how they take it forward. And also, in a, he's also introduced what he's called the shepherd sheep um, system, whereby some of the more experienced and perhaps more confident people who stutter are, are checking in with 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 with, 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 with half a dozen others um, who just to check they're okay, they may be isolated, how they're getting on with their work, uh, how things going, how things going with their stuttering. And then that six has another six. So actually that's been a really positive development. It's enabled the Ghanaian Stuttering Association to start to build a sense of community that for some of those members who stuttered, they, they weren't able to get to those events before. In India, um, they are, I think they used to have a, a, a Indian Stammering Association meeting, whether it was monthly or obviously in, in different cities, uh, whether it's weekly or monthly, I think it, 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 it will depend on, on the leader and the size of the group. Now they have two, two virtual meetings every day. The first one starts at 6.30 with yoga. Ooh. So you can imagine all these people who stutter all across India doing yoga at 6.30 in the morning. And later in the afternoon, they have a more um, a, a sort of check-in type meeting for, you know, because they've got really tough um, uh, lock, lockdown in India. Yeah. Well, it's, it's really nice to hear that there are some, some positives coming out of the new way that we all are required to work at the moment. And going back to what I said at the very beginning, that we can keep the momentum up around disability and around stammering and actually because it, it makes such huge impacts on people's lives. Um, I think that's probably brought us about to the end of the podcast. Um, we have covered shepherds, sheep, lions, squirrels and downward dogs, I think. Any final words from you, Ian, about what you would say to people in terms of thinking differently about stammering? Yeah, I, I would just in, invite you to think you know, about stammering as a different way of speaking. And actually, I think to, to use it almost as, as, as an entry point for a bigger conversation about different ways of speaking. You know, we all, virtually everybody in the world speaks, not, um, and, and yet we all speak in our own unique way. And, and I do think that, I mean, I'm very privileged, you know, I um, work, work, work in London, I speak with a Southeast London accent, a, South, South, um, a Southern England accent, and it's an accent which often prevails in the workplace. So, um, and I'm very aware that there are people that are often trying to get into the into the conversation who sometimes get blocked out. So I see stuttering as being an entry point for a bigger conversation around difference at work. Um, and uh, and and I'm and I'm really looking forward to having that conversation, both both from the perspective of somebody who stutters, but also hopefully somebody who listens most of the time, and from all of us. You know, we're all listeners. And I think that's a really interesting dynamic to think about this. Are we as teams getting the best from everybody around in our, in our team? Or, are we, or are, are we only hearing a certain type of voice? And if we're only hearing a certain type of voice, we're definitely not a fully diverse and inclusive team or a fully diverse and inclusive culture. And you're leaving talent at the door. That is an excellent challenge and a kind of call to arms I think to to finish on thank you so much Ian for being my first guest for the first of our business disability debates
anyone who's listening, you can find out much more about Stammering in the new book, Stammering Pride and Prejudice, Difference, Not Defect, published by JNR Press, obviously with a wonderful chapter from Ian himself. And at Business Disability Forum, we also have our own resources to support you, including our new People Manager Guide on disabilities which are not immediately visible, and our upcoming Neurodiversity Toolkit, which will be launching soon. So thank you again to Ian. Um, this episode of the Business Disability Debates was brought to you by our sponsor, HSBC. Thank you very much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, then head over to our website, businessdisabilityforum.org.uk to find out more about our resources and services. And if you feel like it, why not give us a comment or rating on iTunes or just tell a colleague or friend about us. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Acast or Spotify and look for Business Disability Forum podcasts and subscribe and you'll never miss an episode.